So it's that time again. We're all back to talk about everything that's happened in the world of sport this week. I'm your host, Dan. I'm with regular Sports Weekly family members. Chris, say hi, Chris. Hello, Dan. And Josh, say hi, Josh. Greetings, Dan. And everyone get ready because this is Sports Weekly. So we're back again. Here to talk about the world of sport from the past week, Josh and Chris. How are you both? Good weekends? Yeah, not bad cheers. I was moving into my new house this weekend. Ooh, new house. Do you feel uh, grown up and important? Um, yeah, yeah. Worrying amounts of responsibility now. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to keep it tidy yourself. You can't rely on any of your other housemates to help you out. Exactly. And if it goes wrong, you have to deal with it yourself. Not yeah, call the good points. You can't call the landlord anymore, Chris. You are the landlord. <laughs> Judge, jury and executioner. Um, Josh, good weekend? Not too bad at all, yeah. I went to see a, a Beatles show that's probably kind of reserved for the most fanatical Beatles fans. It's like, for you, Dan, it's probably like going to see like an evening with Gabby Agbon Lahore. And being or Craig David, one or the other. I mean, yeah, true. <laughs> go to either, you know. um, did you enjoy it, though? That's the real question. Very good. Just armed with so many facts about Abbey Road and the Beatles. Uh, if this was kind of a Beatles Abbey Road podcast, this quiz would be very tough, but you should be grateful it's not. I didn't realise you were a, a massive Beatles fan. Yeah, well, when you said you didn't like them, it sort of it hurt me <laughs> quite badly. So I, uh, I haven't mentioned it since. But I mean, sort of I mean didn't like is a, is a bit of an overstatement, but just <laughs> nonplussed. Not, wow. I think nonplussed is worse, actually. I think we should move on. <laughs> And, and nothing the Beatles, if that's if that's any consolation. It's not. It's not at all. <laughs> I, I just I live for the day when I can convince you. You know, we'll have to have some journeys in the car where I can play you. Well, right. Yeah. I, I'll, I'm down for that. Convince me. I mean, that the film. Um, I think it was yesterday. It was called. I went to see that one, and that kind of swayed me a little bit. It wasn't a great film, but some of the music was all right. <laughs> but hey, um, well. For those listeners interested, my weekend was full of exercise because yesterday I ran the Birmingham Half Marathon. Um, don't tell anyone, though, but it was actually the Birmingham 11 and a half miles because they kind of cut out the last mile and a half-ish um, because of dangerousness in Birmingham. So that was fun for me. Um, and I can't walk this morning. I cannot feel my legs so, but that's what you get for running three times before you run a half marathon. I uh, didn't treat at all. <laughs> but hey, I live and learn. Um, but that's part of the reason why we are talking later on about two broken marathon records, which is just incredible. Um, the rest of our podcast looks like this. We are starting off by talking about last week's polls, and we'll do that in a few minutes. Um, we're then going to look at the international break and England's poor performance against Czech Republic. But hopefully, fingers crossed, they kind of get that right today. And of course they will, because Tyrone Mings is playing and will obviously win. It'll be easy and Tyrone Mings will be knighted and, you know, whatever. Um, 
we'll also look a bit at the home nations and Andorra. I mean, what an incredible result for them uh, last time out against Moldova. Um, we'll look a bit at the Rugby World Cup because we're heading into the quarterfinal stage. Chris will wax, uh, wax lyrical about Japan and, and batter Scotland whilst he's at it. We'll look a bit at the typhoons and some predictions for who we think might win now that we know more of who's going to be in the quarterfinals. Uh, we're then, as I said earlier, going to look at the two marathon world records broken for the men and the women, um, including Eliud Kipchoge going under two hours, which is just phenomenal. And then we're finishing off with Josh's quiz, which me and Chris are both really excited for, considering how hard mine and Chris's uh, quizzes were the past two weeks. So I imagine Josh is going to seek his revenge. Um, but fingers crossed, Josh, you've been quite kind. Yeah, I would say I've, I've probably not gone as hard as you two. And then I slightly regret it now. But I guess we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. But it depends whether we've, me and Chris have been kind of paying attention to the sport this week. Um, I'm hoping we have, but there'll, there'll be loads of stories that we've missed along the way. So you've probably picked all of those ones up. And zero marks is incoming. So, woo! Um, but we start at the polls from last week now. Last week we were talking about the great Andy Murray. Um, so that got us thinking for our greatest ever British sports person. However... I forgot to ask you guys for your two suggestions. So I just went for suggestions I thought you might go for. So would you like to hear the results, gents? Please go ahead. Absolutely. Well, the three I chose for us three, I chose Andy Murray because, Josh, your Tennessee background. I chose mm -hmm. Lewis Hamilton because, Chris, your major interest in F1. And I chose Bobby Moore because of all of our interests in, in football. Uh, and obviously, as always, there's another section where people can comment below. Now, Andy Murray, Josh, came last with 13% of the votes, even under other. Blimey. <laughs> I can only attribute that to his, uh, as what some people like to term, his Scottishness over his Britishness, I think, yeah. must be. I was going to say, always... he's still paying for those comments from a few years ago, isn't he? Oh, and what... <laughs> Don't get me started. You're going to batter Scotland later, so <laughs> let's hope it doesn't haunt you in the tabloid press for <laughs> years to come. He was such a, like a live wire when he was younger, and that was such a funny comment. And then the, the tabloids went to town, and he just turned into what people think is this dull persona, whereas actually he's really funny. People need to give him the time of day. He's oh. just delivered in a deadpan manner. Yeah. Was... But when people like when Kevin Bridges and uh, Frankie Boyle do it in the deadpan manner, everyone laughs. But Andy Murray did it and he just got slated. For just it. absolutely slated. <laughs> so now people have adopted that Scottish when he loses and British when he wins mentality. Yeah. Uh, he's always British to me, win or lose. Um, but yeah, 13% of the votes. Other came third with 16% of the votes. And there were some brilliant suggestions. Um, AP McCoy, brilliant yeah. jockey, was mm -hmm. one suggestion. Uh, George Best, another amazing footballer but Quite shapes... personality as well yeah. yeah brilliant personality steve redgrave which was a, yeah. another really good shout um ones for the list that i was thinking of were obviously people like jessica ennis hill dame kelly holmes um chris hoy all brilliant um athletes yeah uh, perhaps yeah, bradley right. wiggins exactly i mean chris Froome doesn't get the credit he deserves but uh, he's he's been brilliant for the yeah. for the tour de france um and then someone came up with my favourite suggestion, which has to be Emil Heskey. <laughs> and that guy is just the best ever. I mean, Josh, you, you commented back and posted about his step over against Algeria, um, which is... 
That gives him legendary status as far as I'm concerned. Honestly. Lifts up that game for me. That guy is just next level. I mean, it's so good that he fooled the opposition into thinking that he couldn't play football regularly on the pitch. Um, but hey, yeah, so some great suggestions. So thank you guys for those. I think this was our biggest ever poll so far. The most votes were received. So that's brilliant to see. Um, 29% went to Lewis Hamilton in second place, which yeah. meant that Bobby Moore, captaining England to the 1966 World Cup, came first with 42% of the votes. And to be honest, who can argue with that? What a, what a, what a brilliant guy. Um, now, our poll for later on in the podcast is going to be all about, and it's a, it's a strange one, but it's going to be all about our, well, the best individual pieces of sporting brilliance in our lifetime. So what I mean by that is the someone who has, let's say, achieved something in an individual sport rather than as part of a team. Okay? Because we're looking at Eliud Kipchoge and um, uh, Bridget uh, going into the marathons, breaking and smashing the world records. Uh, both men and women world records have gone and they've been stood for a while. Um, absolute brilliance from the individuals. So we're looking at the best bit of sporting individual brilliance in our lifetimes. Now, without revealing who you've got, have you got something in mind or is there somewhere you're leaning towards, Josh and Chris? Um, I've got a short list. Yeah, yeah. Is it a short list or a short list? It's both of those things, Dan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, have you have you got something in mind without giving it away? What you're going to go for? I've got one in mind, but I think it it might be a, a bit of a hard sell to Twitter. To oh. this, but we'll see how it goes. That doesn't it's sound like you, Josh. Again, is it? <laughs> <laughs> might yeah. not be as much of a hard sell as uh, Ross Barkley, but we'll see. Or, or Burnout Three. Although I was in agreement yeah. with Burnout 3, because what a game. Um, we won't get back into that, though. That's, that's old news. Uh, but I look forward to hearing your choices. That's enough talk about le- last week. It's enough talk about later on in the show. Let's get on with Sports Weekly. Our first topic this week is all about the current international break. And as we're talking now, England have literally just kicked off for their game against Bulgaria tonight. Um what do you guys think of the international break as a, as, as a whole? Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first. What do you think of it? Um, it's uh, at this time of the year, it's, it's a bit, I find it a bit annoying, um, especially the, the one in uh, September where you get four weeks into the Premier League and Football League seasons and it just you're just getting into the swing of the football being back and then it kind of halts for a bit. Um, the later international break, sort of in November, March. I don't mind as much because they're often the business end of the international break, if that makes sense. So the matches themselves at that stage have a lot more riding on them. So they're quite interesting in their own right. But um, often these earlier, late summer, early autumn stages, it's um, find them a bit dull at times. Although England certainly made it exciting on uh, Friday. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, exciting for the wrong reasons. But yeah, absolutely. Chris, uh, Josh, sorry, what about you? How, how do you feel about the international break as a whole, as a uh, concept? Yeah, I don't particularly enjoy it. I think even the later fixtures, such as kind of England's ordinary, not perhaps this week, dominance of kind of normally the best team in the group. The results are 
kind of what you expect, even kind of closer fixtures, you kind of think, yeah, we, you know, we should be winning that by more. There's, it's almost like a lose-lose for England because however however much they win by, you know, it's San Marino or it's kind of a, and you know, an okay and European team like Bulgaria or somebody. But yeah, it just ne- never kind of makes me excited, to be honest. You just kind of think, when's the Prem coming back? Yeah, I, I've got to agree. I'd I, I much more enjoy club football um to to international football um and there's always that question what would you rather Eng- england win the world cup or uh, your club win the premier league or just even the, the trophy and honestly i'd rather my i'd rather villa won any trophy to be honest i i'd, I'd much prefer that and as much as i love the world cup um back in uh 2018 as much as i love that i just think that Villa winning a, a cup is just so much, much more exciting for me. I don't know what you guys think. I think when you, if maybe if you support quite a um, large, reasonably successful club, I think that feeling is is quite common. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, mind myself supporting a lower league team. Um, obviously, I absolutely love Lincoln and them winning the uh, even something a fairly minor trophy like the Chicka Chain. Trophy was one of the best days out. Don't you call that minor? That is a major <laughs> trophy, Chris. You don't you don't you put your achievements down. Yeah. But um, maybe for a lot of fans who support teams that are fairly starved of success, I think England's uh, a welcome respite of quality uh, at talents. <laughs> Certainly yeah. the English England team who's quite exciting and filled with young talent. Um, it's yeah, certainly a team that a lot of the country can enjoy watching and getting behind. It. Yeah, I mean, probably a stupid question, Josh, but did you prefer Leicester City winning the Premier League to England getting towards the latter stages of the World Cup? A hundred percent, I I preferred Leicester. Or you know, I've not been alive for an England World Cup win, so I don't know how that exactly would feel. But it's just the achievement over a longer period of time. And it's I think it's far easier to not far easier, but it is easier to win the World Cup than to win the league. I mean, Greece won the Euros, and you know, there's. There's no way you could kind of fluke winning the league. Right. Although I would say that. I suppose. Greece, Greece had some great players, though, back in the day. Yeah, Stelios, Janakopoulos, yeah. Josh. Do I have to mention anybody else? Oh, what? There was a guy who played for Leicester as well. It was beginning with Z. Oh, what was his name? Um, Theo Zagarakis or something like that. Zagarakis, what a player. Yes. But uh, no, 100% Leicester winning the league. That was... I don't think that football hasn't been as good since then, quite honestly, even with England <laughs> in the semis. Yeah, I can imagine. It's just all a downhill spiral after that, isn't it? Because as if you're going to win the Premier League again, uh, an awful club like Leicester City. Um, anyway, <laughs> just kidding, Josh, you, you know. Uh, but that moves us on because we're going to look a bit at England's last performance against Czech Republic, um, where we suffered a, a really drab 2-1 defeat we were awful we were so bad and we just let Czech Republic rattle us they came to kind of stop our attack stop the flow of the game bring us down uh, commit fouls get in our heads and they completely got in our heads and we just crumbled um Chris what what were your thoughts on on what happened in the game um one of the most impressive things I thought was how the Czechs completely nullified our attack which had been quite potent in yeah uh, qualifiers and in uh, the world cup before it as well it was Um, quite worrying for me how we found no way of getting past it 
yeah. uh, apart from the penalty, obviously. Yeah, yeah, which came from a, a, a lovely break and a nice counter attack and a good bit of skill by Sterling. But, but yeah, apart from that chance, I really struggled to uh, think of many many chances were created. And then on the flip side, the checks look pretty dangerous going forward, especially from first of all set pieces. They caused a lot of trouble. Well, obviously, they scored from a corner, but they also um, created another chance shortly afterwards, which was flicked over at the back post. Um, and then their counters. There was a guy on the right wing. His name escapes me, but he he had a superb game, I thought, and uh, he set up the the eventual winner. Um, I also said so the defence has questions for us there, and uh, Pickford didn't cover himself in glory either. Cause I mean, he I does have tiny arms, of, though. Yeah, I don't think enough was made of the fact that on the final goal that was conceded, it was a pretty poor pass out that just left Rose, who was not the tallest, yeah. completely isolated against a guy, beat him to the header, and then he was out of position, and then their winger had the entirety of that half of the field to run into to just set up the tapping for the uh, striker who came on. So, um, yeah, issues at both ends of the pitch. Yeah, it just wasn't a great performance all round. And as you're talking, actually, Chris, Marcus Rashford, Rashford has just scored an yeah. excellent goal. I saw that, uh, yeah. Question the goalkeeping, but brilliant skill down the left-hand side. Gareth Southgate loves it. Absolutely loves it. Um, 1-0 to England at the minute. We'll keep updating the scores as we go through. Obviously, that'll make the the podcast not timeless. But, hey, isn't it exciting to have live sport whilst we're talking? Um, Maybe something mad will happen and then we'll have real yeah. um, oh, instant reaction. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Josh, I'm going to run you through the team. And I want to I wanna get your reaction on it, basically, because... It didn't surprise me that we lacked anything creative in midfield when when we set up with this team. So we had Pickford in goal. I can understand that, but poor form for Everton at the minute. Trippier right back, who started well for Atletico Madrid, but uh, and again has started tonight. But when you can see you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench, who's part of a Liverpool team that's won nine in nine in the Premier League, um, or or won every game at least in the Premier League, sorry. Uh, then you have Michael Keane partnering Harry Maguire. I mean, two defenders who really aren't on form, especially Michael Keane, who's part of an Everton side way down towards the bottom of the table. Um, and then Danny Rose at left back, who Tottenham have tried to sell three times. Um, and you've got Ben Chilwell on the bench, who's part of a Leicester team in the top four. Then in the midfield, you had Henderson and Rice together with uh, Mason Mount just in front of them. I mean, what did you make of the team? Because I thought it was A, too defensive, but B, based on players that had not been good enough this season. I couldn't agree more. Um, the Michael Keane, woefully out of form. Maguire, I think there's a, there's a case to include him, even though United aren't doing well, just because he, he has leadership qualities and he he has some prowess going forward as well, and he's he's kind of a threat in the box. But I just think the midfield is the most disappointing part. The two players in Henderson and Rice, which don't, as an England fan, fill you with any excitement. They're not kind of forward-looking players, you know, tidy enough on the ball, but they're not kind of looking to make runs forward. And perhaps Southgate thought, well, they can sit and then Mount can kind of model himself on Lampard as he does and make late runs into the box. But there just wasn't enough creativity in midfield. I think Mount looked particularly kind of frustrated um, and kind of, you know, guilty of a few sloppy fouls and just almost looked like 
madly, even though he's 20 years old, that the onus was on all his shoulders to kind of be that creative hub. And I think attacking-wise, it completely was. And I think that I understand Jordan Henderson's in, in, involvement because he's, he's Liverpool captain and they're, Liverpool are doing so well at the minute. And I understand why he wants to play Rice, but to play both of them together when neither of them offer a lot going forwards against a Czech Republic side who can be quite poor and have conceded uh, three goals tonight against Northern Ireland just strikes me as a bit a bit too defensive and a bit too cautious. No, absolutely. And probably not something we associate normally with Gareth Southgate's management because we scored, was it five in the last fixture or a couple of fixtures ago? We got an incredibly exciting attacking force and I thought that probably the one positive tonight was I thought Kane played really well. I thought Kane... The kind of few opportunities opportunities we had going forward were Kane. And it's got this amazing quality of dropping deep and just being a lovely like distributor of the ball. He's got a hell of a long pass on him, hasn't he? He really has. He's like he's kind of transformed himself from kind of poacher goal scorer extraordinaire to like just a general all round really good player. It's really is, is that not a bit of a worry though? And I understand that I understand why he's doing it, and he's got Sterling and. Tonight, Rashford, but on um, on Friday, he had Sancho in front of him. So I understand why that's kind of the role that Southgate is asking him to play. And Firmino does it so well at Liverpool, um, kind of forgetting about the goal-scoring element and kind of supplying the, the, the two with pace in front of him to go and attack the defence. However, Kane, by far, is the best goal-scorer we have. By the best, one of the best goal-scorers English football has ever had. Um, so... Mm. For me, it seems a bit backwards to 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 kind of get him continue to dropping so so deep. And the only reason for me he had to do that was because there was no creativity in the midfield. Mm. I wonder. If, only... Yeah, I, I wonder if he's trying to model himself because you saw Rooney doing that quite a lot towards like when England weren't playing very well, he'd always drop deep, look for the ball, and try and do it all himself. I wonder if even Southgate has asked Kane to do that, or he was just frustrated by the kind of what wasn't going on behind him. Well, look, looking at the early stages tonight, it looks like Kane has been asked to play further forward because it looks, as, as the game's going on, it looks like Kane is on the last line of defence. But again, against Czech Republic, he was consistently coming deep. And I, I just thought that's because of the lack of service he was getting, that he had to keep forcing himself to come deep. Now, Chris, I'm going to run you through the substitutions we made against um, against Czech Republic because for me... I don't think that the um, substitutions were were good enough. So we brought on Ross Barkley. Um, but again, a straight swap for Mason Mount after 72 minutes. We brought on um, Marcus Rashford. Again, a straight swap for Jaden Sancho. So no change in system, despite the fact um, that we had still two holding midfielder players in, in Rice and Henderson there against Czech Republic. And then only when we went... Um, two one down did he then bring on Tammy Abraham um for for two minutes for for Declan Rice to kind of go more attacking now what do what do you make of the substitution in that game yeah um yeah the, the Tammy Abraham one seems too little too late really isn't it um that could have been done with happening about 20 minutes earlier I think Especially when he's a striker that's still young, still yeah. inexperienced in the England team and, and needs a bit of time to make a difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he's no Kevin Davis. He's not going to score like straight away, is he? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I think also there was, uh, it could have, it could maybe have been a change of shape rather than just like for like subs. So it was sort of the 4 2 3 1 formation, wasn't it? Um, he could maybe have switched uh, to maybe maybe drop Rice back and play him as a sort of centre back and go 3 4 3 or something. Yeah, and that, that would have been perfect. What, what, what? Because you could drop Rice into the centre backs, push up Trippier and uh, uh, Rose, or even bring on Alexander Arnold because he's got one of the best deliveries from wide. Although, say does Trippier to be fair, but um, either or anyway. And then had the uh, the three up front really pushed up, and it probably would have, even if it hadn't resulted in a goal, it probably would have uh, given the Czech Republic a bit more to think about. And it certainly would have pushed them back. Yeah, exactly. They, they, were, they, were, they were coming on to us constantly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what, um, I've just seen a shape change, actually, which Southgate's been quite good at doing, actually. Yeah, so, and, you, and you, well, you mentioned shape. I mean, what do you make of abandoning the three at the back that worked so well for him in the World Cup? Um, I didn't mind that too much, because I think the, that formation led to... It was successful, and it's certainly something to keep, certainly as a, a plan in your arsenal for certain fixtures. But it also led to a bit of a... We got outmaneuvered in games, particularly like Croatia semi-final in, in midfield, because it left us sort of two against three in midfield, a bit short there. So I can see why he changed. I think he's just looking at replicating Liverpool's system really, which kind of touched on what you guys were talking about a couple of minutes ago, with the four at the back, with the wing, the fullbacks being possessing quite good delivery and the ability to get up and down the pitch, and then three very sort of solid midfielders, but without much creativity, and then. A, a dropping deep cane like Firmino, like you said, and two fast wingers. So I think he's trying to replicate that system, but that kind of relies on you having a, a amazing centre back like Liverpool have with Van Dijk, which England possibly, well, I don't think they have at the moment. So uh, Tyro Mings. And then I think yeah, and then I think uh, yeah, like you say, Tyra, you know, great, great, Chris, you seem to have forgotten Tyro Mings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to gloss over that. Uh, <laughs> and then. In, yeah, if you don't have that, you maybe need to make up for it attacking wise in midfield. But we we do we do have that in um I think he's called Tyra Mings. <laughs> Get him in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll stop that now because because yeah. uh, you've basically agreed. Um, but that the thing is, he is playing a Liverpool system and he has several Liverpool players on the bench. Mm. In in Joe Gomez, in Trent Alexander Arnold, who and obviously he's playing Jordan Henderson, who who are used to that system. And I think he is trying to go for a Liverpool-based system because he seems to be going for the ones that work best in the Premier League at the time. When he when he went for three at the back, he was yeah. kind of kind of going for the, it was very the, the at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the the Conte Chelsea Conte system, Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, doing it a lot as well at the time. Yeah, and then he's gone to like a a deep lying centre forward in in Harry Kane, mm. like Liverpool have got, and like other teams are trying to replicate around the Premier League too. So yeah. Just on Kane, I think part of that is what Kane likes doing anyway. Because I think it's pretty telling that he decided to have the number 10 on his back at Spurs rather than the number 9, which he was kind of played like for many years. Mm. He seems to have switched role a bit, like you say. And that could be down to to that, but also all those injuries he's had, which have maybe robbed him of a half a yard of pace. And so he's mm. changed his game accordingly. Yeah. I mean, I'll just Can take I you through. you guys something? Yeah. yeah. What has happened to the love train? Oh, um, don't, don't get me started. That's because uh, that was invented at Lincoln, and since the Cowleys uh, left, uh, it's no longer in the football <laughs> football world. 
they've not left. Well, <laughs> not I mean, the answer I was still... expecting, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't entered at Lincoln. You was could... it a Lincoln? Because I thought it was to do with um, Brentford. Nah. Or did Brentford steal it from Lincoln? Brentford never, because Brentford are a very like attacking kind of silky side. Whereas but Lincoln... I, I swear he, I swear he consulted a, a a coach that was at Brentford at the time with uh, the the set piece tactics because Brentford were seen to be very innovative in their set piece. Yeah, ways. Brentford are because uh, yeah, you're right actually because. Um... Brentford used to have a guy from the Stats Bomb website, which is like a really good analytics football company. Uh, and he worked at Brentford for many years. So there's probably a bit of leftover from that going on. So, yeah, Angus Dean Smith is arguably the best manager in the world. And he was there at the time. Do you think we're saving it for the, the big competitions? Because people might, might get used to it. And, you know, but if you kind of save it for the World Cups and the Euros, you know, they'll, they won't be expecting it. Sneak Potentially, <laughs> I, I just think he looked at Michael Keane and thought, "There's no chance this guy is causing any danger." <laughs> so, <laughs> Apart from his own aban- yeah, yeah, just as I ba- abandon it. Um, once he gets uh, prime slabhead back um, in Harry Maguire, I think that he might go back for it. But once he sees that Tyrone Mings is arguably better than Van Dijk, um, he'll, he'll, he'll start to get back to grips with it again. So you know. Um, Josh, I'm going to run you through tonight's team. What, what do you make of this team, and and where do you think? How do you think it compares with the with the game against Czech Republic? So just before you do, Dan, uh, the most overrated player, Josh Finks, just scored for England. Uh, just oh. Was it a deflection? I mean, I'm not I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. My 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 feed is about a minute probably then behind yours because Raheem Sterling's still got the ball outside the box in mind. Um, <laughs> oh, I've seen it, Chris. I've seen the goal. <laughs> Was it a deflection? Josh, it's a one-yard wonder strike. Um, <laughs> it was beautifully worked, in fairness. And I think Tyra Mings had a lot to do with it. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. Carry on, Dan. <laughs> so, Josh, the team for tonight, who've just gone 2-0 up against Bulgaria inside 20 minutes, consists of Jordan Pickford in goal, Trippier at right-back, Maguire, Mings, two centre-backs, and Chilwell at left-back, Henderson, Winks, and Barkley in the middle, with Sterling, Kane and Rashford up front. What, what do you make of this team and how do you think it compares, especially that midfield three of Henderson, Winks and Barkley and especially the, the back four of Trippier, Maguire, Mings and Chilwell? Mm, I think um, the back four is better. Um, I just I think anyone but Keane and obviously Mings is a Premier League player who you like. So I'm but, say but also Chil- Chilwell... Surely had to count himself so unlucky not to be in that yeah. squad because it looked like he had that position nailed down for the last few international. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's the future left back. He has to be. I still can't believe Trent Alexander Arnold cannot get in the team. I yeah. can't really believe Trippier's keeping him out. I can only. But I know Trippier's got a decent delivery on him, but Trent's is better, and he's a decent free kick taker. I I can't. Champions League final winner, uh, currently top of the Premier League. Yeah, not, absolutely. Not, not discarded um, by Tottenham for not being good. I, I think the midfield does look more positive. I'm not Ross Barkley's biggest fan. But... No, I don't believe that, Josh. <laughs> but, you know, what, what I'm, do you make I'm willing to be proven wrong. I think Winks, I think he offers more than, than Rice. I think he's more forward thinking. I think he's better on the ball. I don't think he gives it away as much. I, I, I like Winks. I think he's he's a better prospect than Rice for me. I know he plays slightly more advanced, 
But, I was going to say, um, Rice yeah. is like a purely defensive midfielder, isn't he? So you could maybe just play him in the, the tougher matches if you wanted that, that security. I mean, and it looks to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we all kind of, I thought we all got a bit excited about Eric Dyer when he first burst on the scene because he offered a bit more silly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to, I mean, talking about Eric Dyer, he's just been linked with Aston Villa. Um, in the in the January transfer window, wow. for starters, yeah. no no thanks. Um, but I feel like Wink yeah, seems yeah. to be playing tonight in like a an Aperlo position of of just kind of shadowing the centre backs, but then being a quarterback to try and spray the ball forwards. Um, I really like Harry Winks. I think he, he he's going to be a really good player, and he started well this season for Tottenham. Although Tottenham haven't started particularly well, um, but I I really like Harry Winks. So. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping tonight carries on in the trajectory it's, it's on at the minute. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on because we've not got much time left in this section. I've got two more things I want to cover. So, <laughs> number one, I'm just going to take you guys briefly on to um, Northern Ireland, Wales and uh, Scotland. Now, Scotland uh, beat San Marino 6-0 with a, with a hat-trick um, from Super John McGinn last time out. But then a few days previous to that, lost and com- completely capitulated in the second half against Russia and ended up losing 4-0. Um, Wales uh, did really well last night, actually, and held Croatia to a, to a one-all draw. Croatia, obviously, World Cup finalists, um, beat England in the semi-final. And, and Wales, Wales did well, looked really dangerous, but cannot defend Um Brilliant going forward and look look a, a, a real real danger to the other team, but just couldn't defend and had, to be honest, Wayne Henderson to thank for for, for quite a lot of saves. Um, and then Northern Ireland, been handed such a tough group in Netherlands and Germany's group, but are only currently three points behind those two teams, um, with Germany and Netherlands on 15 points and Northern Ireland on 12 points. Um, Chris, I'll come to you first. Who do you think's got the the best chance and i'll give you the the tables because currently as i said northern Ireland are third three points behind germany and the netherlands um worth mentioning republic of ireland as well actually were top of their group um with denmark and switzerland not far behind uh wales who are fourth in their group uh four points behind second place hungary um and scotland who are also fourth in their group on nine points uh, one point behind Cyprus in third, but way behind Russia and Belgium, who are on 21 and 24 points respectively. Who do you think, Chris, has got the best chance of actually making it to Euro 2020? Uh, I think Wales have probably got the best chance. I think they've got um, the best crop of players out of the teams we discussed there. Um, they were missing, they've been missing Ramsey for this international play, and he's a very important player for them. But yeah, just looking at the quality in the side there, you've got to, when Ramsey's fit, you've got a Juventus midfielder, you've got Gareth Bale, um, and a sort of good crop of youngsters to go with it. Players like, um, uh, is it Brooks from Bournemouth? Yeah, Daniel James. Who's injured himself at the moment. And uh, yeah, yeah, Daniel James from Manchester United, of course. Uh, and I think uh, they, they've got a a good chance of getting out. And actually, Lincoln City's Jack Mowell was in midfield, bossing it against Rakitic. So, uh, yeah, that was to see the that. The only thing I have questions with Wales over is more the manager gigs. I'm not, he's quite, quite new to it. Um, I think he's equipped himself reasonably well so far, but still being a few questions, questionable tactical decisions. So, I think his learning is on the role like, like the players, young players are really. So, 
Yeah. Uh, Wales have got a good chance. I think Scotland, I don't see much hope for them. All their good players are in the same position. So they've got Tierney and Robertson and their two best players. They're both two, Yeah. And, it's unfortunate um, for them, isn't it? Yeah. And then they've got Ryan Fraser, who's again left sided, which basically leaves the right hand side of midfield, centre midfield, the strikers, and the. I mean, you are forgetting Just, about John McGinn. Yeah, he's yeah he's, he's yeah he's done well. I don't midfield maybe not quite as bad, but up front I don't think they've got a lot. And but isn't that that seems like the issue with all of the other home nation teams? I mean, obviously you've got Bale. Um, but isn't played as a striker for for, for Wales. Mm. Um, you've not got a great striker for Wales. You've not got a great striker for Northern Ireland. You've not got a great striker for Scotland. It's, no, but it's part of international football, really, because you can't just buy a player to fill that position because you're limited to, obviously, who's born there, who's what's sort of coming through in what position. So it's a bit, a bit tricky. I think Northern Ireland have taken the right approach, though, because they basically sacrificed their Nations League group where they didn't perform very well in at all. But they exclusively used it to blood their really young players. So they get used to playing for their country so that they could attack this qualification group uh, with a lot more experience than they otherwise would have had. Which is a great idea. Which Yeah, which is a great idea. And it's paid dividends. I know we're about, what, five minutes away from being the Netherlands away. Well, yeah, I mean, they went one up and then the Netherlands, I think Depay scored in the 80th minute, but then they scored in the 91st and 94th to take the game away from them. And they're... would have been a superb oh it would have been incredible and it would have left them uh level on points actually with the netherlands wouldn't it in um in second place or well in joint well sorry in third place on goal difference i should say mm-hmm. but um even like the netherlands second goal was so lucky yeah. as well because de jong um kind of reached a ball that was going out to try and put it back across the box but ended up just putting it right in the air yeah. um and then getting on the end of it himself and kind of yeah. tapping it in yeah. when everyone else had kind of gone Thinking Even it was like going to go out. Yeah, wrong-footed by it. Yeah, it was an odd one. I, I, my final point would be that I think Northern Ireland have the best manager of the group. I think he's kind. He's kind of made them like a a, a club team spirit, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah, it's yeah, and he's superb tactician as well. And they're not the most talented team, but they they're so difficult to beat. This this Euros might become a bit too soon for them, with the, and especially with the group they've been dealt. But I think it bodes very well the uh, future qualification periods to come and and i suppose that's exactly why um exactly why scotland tried to get michael o'neill in as their own manager when um when they when they had the chance to yeah absolutely and i I I can't remember exactly what happened there but um did he turn them down in the end? Turn them down, yeah Yeah. maybe he just saw they only had a team of left backs and Yeah, possibly. Um, Josh, we're just going to move on very quickly to our last point. We've got about a minute left in this section. Just a final word for Andorra, who, after 21 years of waiting, 56 previous losses in their European qualifying matches since contesting their first against Armenia in 1998, and they finally beat Moldova 1-0, a goal in the 63rd minute. Had to to stave off some some pretty serious Moldovan pressure towards the end of it. just a word on Andorra, Josh. How do you think they, they must be feeling as a country? The serious parties that night, I imagine. My goodness. Given that they've only existed since 1996, to get to chalk up your first victory, I don't think we can probably imagine it, given that, you know, we invented football. I can't even imagine kind of waiting over 20 years for a victory. What a feeling. And uh, it, I guess it's like 
hope for all the kind of pub teams out there who play teams much better than them. And maybe one day that kind of ragtag bunch will beat somebody and it will feel amazing. I mean, exactly. And hats off to Andorra because to win, I think they've only ever won seven games in their in their history, but most of those have been in um in friendly matches and i think there's only they've only won three competitive games because obviously they play other in other competitions too um ever and only their first as i said their first in european qualifying so hats off to andorra and what a great way to end this section Our next section focuses on the Rugby World Cup and we are finished with the group stages through to the quarterfinal stages and one of the biggest results from the last stage of the group stages was Scotland's kind of um, unexpected loss to Japan. They lost 28-21. Japan were 21-7 up at half time. So Scotland did uh, have a bit of a resurgence in the second half but Chris, you watched the game Tell us a bit about it. Well, it was, um, yeah, a game that for a long time was in jeopardy due to Typhoon Figidis, uh, which was, uh, well, threatened and then struck Japan on the Saturday. Um, but yeah, the game fortunately went ahead and I'm glad it did because it was a fantastic game of rugby. Um, Japan came out, well, actually, Scotland came out the stronger team at the start and took a seven-point lead with a, a try within seven minutes, I think. Um, at that point, it looked a bit dicey for Japan. But they came back with one of the best displays of attacking rugby I've seen from any side for quite some time. I think we get used in the Northern Hemisphere and the Six Nations to seeing um, certain styles of rugby. And um, it can sometimes be, although there is some wonderful skill, there's also a fair amount of attritional rugby and a lot of work in the pack and uh, the malls. But Japan were playing quite a much more free-flowing, sort of spirited type of rugby in which they were basically using pace. They had a couple of guys who were incredibly quick. Um, and also, but more in, technically uh, impressively, were coming up with these amazing offloads from the tackle. So the guys were being tackled by the Scots and almost bringing it down. And then as they were being brought, brought down, just getting it out the uh, out offloading the ball out of the tackle. And the I think the second try they scored was there was three or four instances of this in a row and it just kept progressing forward and then the support play was superb, following their man to support him. And then it, yeah, got through to their quicker player eventually and he just cast away from them all and scored them to posts. So, Japan do have some serious pace at the um, back, don't they? Yeah, I I was unaware how pacey they were actually. It's a, it was wonderful to watch. And I think they scored I think four I think it was four unanswered tries before Scotland rallied a bit towards the end to close the, uh, the scoreboard, but but not by enough. So, yeah, that phase from about minute sort of 10 to about the 50, 60th minute was a wonderful display of attacking rugby by Japan, and it fully deserved their... Well, it, they eventually topped the group because of that. And, uh, four, four out of four wins, including beating um, top-ranked side before the tournament island. Yeah, incredible. Absolutely amazing. One of the best... Uh, well, one of the best performances by a home nation in any tournament, I think. But even more so in rugby, where there's such a stratification of the sport. Japan don't often get to play uh, these top-ranked sides. So to come out and actually beat them when it matters makes it even more impressive. And I hope I mean, in future to there being more 
uh, matches uh, between the more uh, second tier nations, as they're known, and the top tier because they've, they've shown they can compete. Do you think that that this kind of this tournament will see a shake up of some of the the longer standing tournaments that that we're used to seeing? So I, I don't imagine it will shake the Six Nations up, but whether whether there'll be, like you said, a, a top tier uh, level and a, and then a second tier level, almost like a a, a league system um, for international teams, where the likes of Japan, the likes of um, Argentina, the likes of Uruguay, the likes of uh, Fiji, those kind of teams will get a chance to play more regularly and we'll get to see them more regularly. Yeah, well, I'd like to see that. And it has certainly been talked about before. I think the problem they've had in the past is that the top nations are resistant to losing a place. I know Italy, whenever the Six Nations is brought about, including um, promotion and relegation, so that you basically have a Six Nations and then a Six nations b almost where teams like romania and georgia compete and they've talked about swapping the top the winners of that group with the bottom in the six nations seems like italy just get terrified they're going to get relegated and the sport's going to drop off and it just i think there there must be some sort of power of veto or something going on because it never ends up going through so there there has to be when when italy end up as like the whipping boys each time yeah i don't think it helps them being battered all the time so i think yeah i agree with you i'd like to see a bit more I mean, maybe there's scope in the calendar for something like, we have the World Cup, obviously, but I don't think there's a sort of, and the Six Nations goes on, but maybe a sort of Euros type tournament. Yeah, I mean, apart from a test happen. test series against yeah, certain nations, but then it always seems to be against the likes of South Africa, New Zealand, Australia anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's a bit, it matters, obviously, because all that happens in cricket is test matches, really, apart from in the in the longer form of the game. But I quite like a tournament because you get <laughs> it's over a few weeks. You get your winner. It's it's quite fun, really. So, um, which is why I think the Nations League in football was such a such a great idea, for, especially yeah. for certain lower ranked nations who who actually could make something of it, and then they gave them a, a playoff place for the for the Euros coming yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. So maybe yeah. you could have a system like that. I mean, Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take yeah. you forward to the to the quarterfinals because the, all the quarterfinal uh, games have now been announced they've now been um the, the the fixtures have been filled and here they are on the 19th of october you've got england versus australia and new zealand versus ireland and then on the 20th of october you've got wales versus france and japan versus south africa now josh which uh which games do you kind of um strike something which which games do you think will be the most entertaining there i think on the basis of japan's recent performance i think Japan, South Africa could be the real one to watch. I think home nation up against one of the tournament favourites uh, is really exciting. And who knows, there's just something about watching a home nation kind of exceed expectations, which is just so exciting. And there's, there's a lot to like about it. Um, I th- they're all pretty great fixtures. Um, it's almost like some of the kind of the biggest you know, thrashings like your, your kind of Uruguays and your Russias. It's almost like as much as you guys have said about having that, maybe that lower tier, having more matches. I don't think you can deny that these are the matches we've been looking forward to. Um, I genuinely couldn't choose between England and Australia. Both play pretty well up to this point. I expect Wales to beat France and I expect New Zealand to beat Ireland, but the other two I'm, I'm finding hard to pick. Yeah, and it, it is quite difficult to pick, isn't it? Especially some of those which are just really, really close. I mean, Chris, which which ones do you think 
are, are the, 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 the most mouth-watering? Um, I think the England-Australia match should be quite a good battle. Um, I think in, they both had their good moments in the tournament, but also had shown off their flaws as well. Um, so I, I mean, that's... Australia finished second in their pool, yeah. uh, played four, won three, lost one, um, with four bonus points. England came top of their pool um, after the England-France game was uh, called off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and ended I, with I three bonus them. points. Yeah. <laughs> Notice how England-France didn't really uh, complain about that. or Neither <laughs> no. Italy, really, even though they they were a bit upset, but they didn't really go on about it. Well, I didn't really touch on it earlier, but Scotland's moaning about this match. Unbelievable. What, what, what could the Japanese authorities do? Well, I don't know. They were basically saying, oh, yeah, well, we want to play a rugby match, so screw health and safety, the risk of all the spectators' safety. That, that's the thing, though, isn't it? They, no, nobody there was thinking about the, the spectators' safety. Not in the... It didn't appear to be the case in the Scotland camp at all. Yeah. The, the thing they were seemingly caring about was their own ability to go through in the tournament. All, like they, 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 they did not cover themselves in glory at all. Uh, I think they were a bit embarrassing, to be honest, the way they went on about it. It, was, it wasn't really... It was a bit distasteful, really. Mm. Um, I feel like some so fans were saying... Why not play it behind closed doors somewhere else in Japan where there isn't a way to a little bit safer? They became desperate at the end talking about it. Yeah, this behind closed doors, which oh, do anything to get this match on. So that was why it was so delicious when they eventually they did get the match played and they got beaten anyway. So I think <laughs> justice was served really in that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that for me, New Zealand versus Ireland, mm. I can I can honestly see Ireland stepping up. I can honestly see, yeah, yeah, and I can I can honestly see Ireland causing a bit of a shock there. And I know I know they haven't been brilliant in this World Cup, but they have got the capability to be an amazing side at times. Yeah, and I don't think New Zealand is all conquering as they were in the last two World Cups. I think that side has aged a bit, and there's some flaws in there which can be can be exploited. I think if Ireland can get Sexton into the game and performing to the ability that he's capable of, I think that could cause uh, the All Blacks a lot of problems. Uh, I mean, yeah, and I, I completely agree. Jo- Josh, and, and in fact, I'll ask both of you, last few words on this. I'll go through the ties again. England, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, Wales, France, Japan, South Africa. Josh, who are you tipping to to win? Is it still New Zealand's game? Or do you think because of the tie they've been handed, it kind of falls to anybody else? I think New Zealand is still a national on above the rest of the competition. Yeah, still backing them. I mean, if if they get through, New Zealand will play... The winner of England Australia. Hmm. I I just think they they're they're capable of putting together passages of rugby, perhaps not the whole game, but that can just blow apart a team such as their their passing play and the speed of it and the the flair on display. I think they just need that kind of one burst of skill, and that's almost they can take the match away from you really quickly. I think England have the potential to potentially challenge them because they're very disciplined, um, very solid. But uh, yeah, I, I can't look beyond New Zealand, to be honest. And how about you, Chris? Who, who do you, I mean, we've, I think we've, we've pretty much all can uh, thought that New Zealand are probably still odds-on favourites to win this. Who, who do you think, uh, looking at the quarterfinal ties? I've written down my winner for each tie, just a snap. Who do I think is going to win each tie? And I've gone Australia to get past England. I've gone... Despite what I just said, I still I, I get your points. I've got New Zealand, I've got Wales. I think they'll see off France fairly comfortably, and I've got Japan to repeat 
their shock of 2015 and beat South Africa again. Well, I mean, if your predictions come true, Chris, you're a, you're a god amongst men. And all I'm hoping for again, as always, is some more exciting games because it's been a brilliant World Cup so far. And I just hope that it continues to be just that. Now it's time for our final topic before we get on to the brilliant sports quiz that Josh has certainly prepared for us. Um, and it's all about marathon running. And it kind of stems from the fact that I don't know if I, I don't know if I mentioned it, guys, but I did like a half marathon yesterday. Um, so, you know, and um, it stems from that. But also the main reason for talking about it is two marathon records have been smashed over the past week. Um, Eliud Kipchoge running a marathon in under two hours, one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds, which is just incredible. Um, and Bridget Koskai uh, smashing Paula Radcliffe's um, marathon record by over a minute to run it in two hours, 14 minutes and four seconds. Uh, Chris, what do you make of those two incredible achievements? Yeah, it was quite a weekend for marathon running, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, amazing achievement. I suspect Paula Radcliffe's record had stood for quite some time, hadn't it? Yeah, so, it had, yeah. Uh, was that something like the 2002 or 3 London Marathon, I think? Yeah, I, th- I think it was, I think it's been 15 or 16 years. Yeah, an amazing effort. So, uh, yeah, quite impressive to see that. Uh, and, and impressive to finally... considering she never keeps her head still, Paula Marathon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's <laughs> Paula Marathon. Yeah, dynamics were not great for her running style, were they? So uh... no, and surely <laughs> she was just always dizzy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. just an and, incredible achievement. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, the other uh, records. Um, that was the one under two hours, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, that's been sort of this sort of barrier mental and physical barrier that's been up for quite some time i i know that um there was a television program produced in the last few months where which detailed free runners who were trying to be the first to break the two-hour barrier so there's been a bit of this sort of marathon arms race almost of who's going to be the first first guy to uh, to break this this barrier and it's finally fallen um quite interesting where it fell as well i was intrigued to see the amount of pace runners they had i think it was about a serious amount of pace runners, yeah. And then like a laser being projected yeah. to keep, mm. again, to stay upward. So there was quite a lot of, maybe it was one of these records that was only breakable now because of technological advances. And like yeah, that. I mean, and Josh, you have uh, quite a, a little bit of an, an opinion on, on Kipchoge's uh, marathon breaking yeah. record, despite the, the phenomenal run it was. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, oh, I think he's an incredible runner and he's kind of done more than enough to kind of cement himself into the history books without this. Uh, his times are absolutely incredible, already kind of holds the record. I, I just don't, I'm not sure it is a record. It's, I don't think they can call it one because it's, it wasn't a race. And so they call it it's a marathon edition. Record, but it, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just think there's so many things they kind of scouted out the course to find the flattest distance over 26 miles like you say with the, with the laser chris there's kind of v-shape of runners to give better wind resistance yeah they've got these kind of much criticized vaporfly nike shoes which are kind of 
a bit like the um, the anchor putter in golf. I think athletics is sort of coming to terms with whether these shoes can just give too much of an advantage and just cut that time too much. And I think he had like carbohydrate drinks, which we uh, not necessarily allowed during a, a marathon. Um, I think one writer compared it to a mobile marathon spa rather than the kind of a endurance <laughs> feat that it normally is. But yeah, and I just feel that um, the company, is it Ineos? Yes, it, it is, yeah. It, it feels a little bit like it's as much about them as it's about this amazing, incredible runner already. It feels a little bit like, you know, oh, we've broken the barrier just as much, you know, almost like Ferrari yes. and McLaren are, are the incredible, make the incredible cars that Formula One champions drive. Yeah, I, it's yeah, just... I, it taints it a little bit for me. And don't get me wrong, I saw that time when I, I first read it, I thought, oh my word, that is incredible. And I started reading a little bit more and I was just took the gloss off it for me a little bit. Yeah, what? I was just going to chip in there on Ineos. They seem to be quite active with their marketing at the moment because they've been, they bought what was Team Sky for the Tour de France and um, bought Nice Football Club in France, I think it is. Uh, again, as a sort of part marketing tool, part let's try and challenge PSG in a few years type of thing. So, yeah, they seem to be quite active at the moment. It's a little bit like Red Bull with the... Uh, Stunts like the jump from space. Uh, yeah, that, and that, Chris, you, you took the thoughts out of my head and the <laughs> words out of my mouth because I was, I was going to compare it to exactly the same thing. It's, it's exactly like the Red Bull Felix Baumgartner um, jump from space, isn't it? it? It seems like a lot of money's been ploughed into it, a lot of publicity for it. Um, it's, it's been called the Ineos 159 Challenge. Um, so they obviously are getting great publicity from this. And yeah. Chris was exactly right before when he said it did not count as a new record because the rules for pacing, the rules for fluids um, weren't followed and it wasn't an open event. It was just him with paces around him uh, trying to get him onto, onto the record. I mean, fair play, fair play to the pacers as well, who oh, yeah, had to kind of yeah, had a massively important job to play. Imagine if that um, 10-year-old boy who st- started off doing the 5K <laughs> uh, took the record <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just turned onto the wrong one and took him out like halfway through. <laughs> um, but I, and I, I completely agree with your point of view, Josh. I think that it it does take away a little bit, considering it wasn't in a in a traditional marathon event. Whereas, um, whereas you've got, like you've said already, Kipchoge already has the the marathon world record time i think it's uh, two hours one minute and 39 seconds which is again it's just an absolutely phenomenal time um and bridget koskai broke her world record in inside an actual marathon itself um i think it was it the chicago marathon i think she broke it in and um just was absolutely brilliant so does for you josh does that rate as a better achievement i think for me it does and and Kipchoge, like you say, already has the world record. I think his world record that stands is the greatest improvement to the marathon time since 1967, which is already phenomenal. And to be honest, I kind of put that ahead of what, given all the kind of caveats about how it was achieved above this one, yeah, and Koske's too. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that it's, uh, for me, I, I agree. I think that, Koske's just just edges it for me despite the fact that he has run under two hours for a, for a full marathon which is just incredible speed um it's i think he ran the last 400 meters in just over a minute 
or or just yeah. under a minute. I can't remember. And we, imagine having run already twenty six miles and running the last four hundred meters in in that speed is just phenomenal. Um, I think he was averaging something around four minutes thirty a mile uh, for the full full distance, uh, which Let's is. Let's not delve into that too much because it may or may not be in the quiz. I am going to stop talking about that now because <laughs> fingers crossed I may have an answer. Um, Chris, you're you're a how or have been in the past a keen marathon runner. You're a keen walker. What kind of time would you be finishing a half marathon in? Um, I think my best ever was i think one hour 36 i think i've run one in oh chris <laughs> that's then, special that's the kind of fanfare but i wouldn't be able to do that it. right now because that was after a reasonable amount of training and, and it was on a good call it was on a chester half marathon which is quite flat so that kind of helps a bit as well oh, you're british chris you don't have to self-deprecate <laughs> all the time you can See, say I... how good you are I've done Chester half marathon. Yeah, and actually, I can support you then, didn't I? Near the finish line. Yeah, and actually, I found it quite difficult because you go out into the kind of uh, country road area, and there's yeah. no one standing either side. No, and that kind of just freaks you out a little bit, I think. <laughs> so I think you're doing yeah. yourself down a bit there, Chris, because it's an incredible time. Didn't you once run a half marathon and then come to play a corfball game straight afterwards? Yeah, that was. Uh, it wasn't the one where I ran it in one thirty-six. I think it was slightly slower, but then. Yeah, I then I th- I wasn't going to play golf ball, but I think uh, some il- illness and injuries and uh, last minute pullouts meant that we didn't have a team. So I went, "I'll oh, go on then, I'll turn up." <laughs> I went, so I went and played, and then I mean, I wasn't at my best. I'll say that, but I did manage to score the slowest running in shot, shot of all time. Yeah. I slowly ambled past somebody who was looking over. I mean, I don't know how you did it. I could barely walk afterwards. I'm even worse today. I can barely walk. I think today. I was just running on adrenaline, to be honest. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Josh, you're you're into running a bit more now than you used to be, and quite a quite a decent runner actually, aren't you? For especially for your 10k distance. Yeah, I'm reasonably pleased with because I only started running like about 10 months ago, so kind of I've got a time of about 48 minutes for a 10k, which I was really pleased with. But now I'm sort of aiming for your sort of time, Dan, from a half marathon, which will come up in the next few months, I hope. So, well, yeah. which, one, uh, which one are you hoping to go for? Um, I've just missed Worksop. Worksop's meant to be really nice because it goes through a really lovely park, Clumber Park in sort of North Nottinghamshire. Um, but I'll kind of take any that are flat. and. I mean, nice to be honest, kind of cool Bur- Birmingham Half was, was, was fairly decent for a course, um, quite flat. Ran back through the city centre at the start and the end. Uh, ran, ran past Cabri World, which was lovely. Um, it good. I, honestly, I thought the smell would kind of put me off. I don't remember smelling anything. Okay. Which I was really surprised about. But um, but yeah, Birmingham, Josh, was pretty mm. top-notch. And in October as well, where it's kind of... There, there's not much heat. There's a little bit of rain, a little bit of drizzle. There wasn't much wind yesterday either. It was pretty perfect conditions. Um, it looks to me, Josh, if you're running a 10k in about 48, that you'd be aiming for about one hour 40 or so for a for a half marathon. If you if you anticipate there being a slight slightly slower pace given the longer distance, which would be an impressive time. Well, I will keep the listeners updated as to when that happens and how I will fall short of that 140. Um, <laughs> see how it goes. Anything under two hours. I think my quickest yeah, is one that, hour. That's 50 the trip. ultimate for your first one, isn't it? You just want to break that two hours, just like Kipchoge, really. I'll break the two yeah. hours, you know. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to break the two hours. Um, I mean, think about it. I, 
I ran mine just over two hours in Birmingham. Uh, it it got cut short to 11 and a half because of some uh, danger on, on part of the track. Um, and I finished that in just in under two hours. So I think if I'd have carried on, it would be just over two hours um, that I'd have run mine in. And to think Kipchoge ran a full marathon in shorter time than it, would t- than it took me to run a half marathon is an absolutely insane thought. The, I was just going to say the hardest that I've done was the Conway half marathon where you end up going up 300 metres of ascent up this thing, this headland called the Great Orm and it's uh, absolutely killer. So, so it's how, it's, I mean, even just talking about it, the way you yeah. just, it sounds horrendous. Yeah, and it's windswept because it's obviously blowing off the sea and all sorts. So it's something almost. <laughs> um, so before we end this section... Josh, just a, a, a tiny little word for, for Paula Radcliffe. Such a brilliant British athlete. How do you think she's feeling now that her... Because there was a picture with her and, and Koskai afterwards, um, kind of a, a, a passing over of the baton, as if it were. Um, how do you think Paula yeah, Radcliffe's feeling? See, it? it was. It was lovely to see. I but if, if I was Paula Radcliffe, I'd kind of be like gritted teeth smiling because <laughs> I'd want that record to stay for, for many more years to come. Yeah, you're kind of off. You're always going to get mentioned in marathon articles, aren't you? As the world record yeah, holder, exactly. that's kind of gone forever. Hey, unless she comes back, might motivate her to come out of retirement. Who knows? But yeah, I... <laughs> no, no one mentions Maury Screen anymore when they're talking about the hundred meter world record. They're looking at Usain Bolt, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really big of her to uh, to be at the finish line to congratulate Koske, but. You've got to be gutted, haven't you? Your life's work, and you've got to the top, and then you've been knocked off your perch. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, she must be gutted. Yeah, I agree. And final word from me: congratulations to both Kipchoge and Koske. Two brilliant runs. Whatever we think about the conditions for Kipchoge's um, half marathon under two hour attempt, just absolute superstars. Well done. Congratulations. Go and have a pint and celebrate like mad. Time for my favourite feature now. I'm really worried. I think Josh could go hard on us. I'm not sure, but it's time for the sports quiz. Josh, it's you this week. Me and Chris answering the questions. Have you gone harsh? I think the first three aren't too bad. But yeah, what do you think? Could be wrong. (laughs) Well, I'm so ready for this. Chris, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm poised. Poised, Josh. Give us our first question. Quizmaster, off you go. Let's go. Okay. So question one. As we've just been talking about, Elliot Kipchoge achieved the extraordinary feat of becoming the first marathon runner to achieve a sub two-hour time. One hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, but what does this equate to as an average distance over 100 metres? So I'll allow you one second either side because I'm feeling generous. So average pace per 100 metres. Yes. So how, So he did a lot of these, bearing in mind, a lot of 100 metres over 26 miles. What was his average pace over 100 metres? Oh, that's tough. Get your calculators out. No, no calculators. <laughs> no, no, All right. Okay. Oh, I've probably gone way out here, so that's going to be embarrassing when that happens. Yeah, got an okay. answer. Question two. 
England lost their first European qualifier of the campaign against the Czech Republic. How many years has it been since they last what, lost a World Cup or European qualifier? And who did they last lose against? Um... And for a bonus point... So is that, me... is that two points or is that half a point for each one? Half a point for each one. Okay. Did you say World Cup or major tournament? Uh, both, either a World Cup or a European qualifier. I think I, know, I really think I know this. Okay. I think I'm going to knock the bonus point on the head because I think that was what, hard what, enough for what, you guys. What was what would yeah, the bonus point be? It was going to be what was the score. Hmm. Okay. Oh, um... So how many years and who did they last lose against? Half a point each. Okay. Ready for question three? Uh, not quite. Uh... I think I know which one it is, and I think I remember the game. Mm, very good guy. I don't know why, but I, yeah, I think I remember. The, I think I actually remember the game. Uh, yeah, right, got an answer. Ready, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in the latest instalment of his comeback, Andy Murray lost a tight match to Fabio Fanini. But why was Andy Murray frustrated with Fanini and ultimately told him to shut up? Was it a that he hit a ball at him while he was at the net? Was it B, that he shouted out to distract Murray from a volley? Or C, he insulted Andy Murray's mum? <laughs> if it was, I'm, I'm no longer a Fanini fan because Judy Murray is a saint. Legend of a lady. Oh, it's surely got to be that one. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, got an answer. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. So, the next two aren't strictly about this week in sports. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> so, not naughty. Uh, I so enjoyed our discussion about our Italian football legends last week. I had to put in a question about these guys. So, Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Costa Curta, and Roberto Baggio, three legends of the Italian game. I want you to put them in age order. Oh, right, go through the three again. Paolo Maldini, yeah. Alessandro Costacurta, and Roberto Baggio. And they have to be all in the correct order or no points. From youngest to oldest, or from oldest to youngest? Oldest to youngest, please. Oh, that's a great question. So tough. It's very tough. It is tough. I can tell you that uh, one year separates them all, so that I've gone very hard there. <laughs> wow. Okay, I thought it was going to be like quite okay. Yeah. Right. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Have you two got answers? Yeah. Uh, almost. Give me like ten seconds. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the the final question. I've gone a, a bit more off piece further. So see how this goes. Oh, I'm, I'm still trying to spell their names. No, right. I've, I've got their name. I've got no their names. No points deducted for spelling. You're all right. Oh, okay. I tell you what. If if you guess their all of their ages, you get ten bonus points. Oh, okay. I like them. I like those odds. <laughs> okay. Ready, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, final question. Complete the punchline of this sporting joke, which is incidentally very funny. Okay. What time? Does Sean Connery arrive at Wimbledon? 
that's what time what does time? Sean Connery arrive at Wimbledon? I like the idea of a joke for a question. I mean, that's <laughs> what time does Sean Connery arrive at Wimbledon? And uh, you know, it's not about this week, but this joke is timeless. It's a classic. <laughs> um... <laughs> what? <laughs> I just wanted. It's, it's a great far away from numbers. It's a great question, honestly. It's a great question. I've got. I can't even provide an answer. I kind of don't want you to get it, so I can deliver the punchline. To be honest, but oh, props to you if you get it. I'm trying to think of an answer that could actually make sense. Okay, um, you're very welcome to change your answer and think about it as I'm reading out the other. Four. Okay, yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, oh. so question one: uh, What was Elliot Kipchoge's time over 100 meters, his average distance time. What have you gone for? I, I've gone for 17 seconds per 100 meters. Okay, Dave, what have you gone for, Chris? Uh, 23. Dan has nailed it. 16.8.2 oh. of a second off. Get in there. Oh. Unlucky, Chris. We're is insane. I'd, how many hundred meters could you sprint at sixteen point eight seconds? I could maybe do uh, uh, two. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe two. I think I did the two hundred meters in school in twenty seven, uh, and then died. So two, because uh, I just thought I knew that he'd run the the last four hundred in about a minute, which would have taken the hundred meters down to fifteen seconds. And but I knew he wouldn't have done fifteen seconds per hundred meters the rest of the time. So thought 17 might be a good guess it's insane okay so number question two england lost their first european qualifier but who did they last lose against in a world cup or european qualifier i'll come to you first chris um i put 12 years against i thought it was thinking of the game with steve mclaren the loss to croatia um oh, great job. three two but i don't know if that's right Okie dokie. What have you gone for, Dan? So I seem to remember this game, and I, I think we lost to Ukraine away. And I, I, I've gone for 10 years because uh, I was thinking it was f when Capello was in charge, which then would have been for the 2010 World Cup. So I went for 2009, so 10 years ago. I think it's Ukraine, and I swear Rob Green got sent off. Um, and then there was something to do with David James, and I can't remember what, but I think can't remember why Rob Green gets, got sent off, but I swear Rob Green got sent off against Ukraine, so I've gone for that one. I mean, I, I, you couldn't have nailed it anymore, Dan. I can't so believe weird. what you remembered from that game. Yeah, so Ukraine, 2009, 10 years ago. Uh, Rob Green did get sent off. I knew it. I'm flown to Ukraine. Yes. No, <laughs> the only reason I remember that is because I remember Fabio Capello standing on the sideline, um, and I remember thinking, I remember couldn't believe in that Rob Green was our number one goalkeeper and um, and I, I thought if it's Fabio Capello it must have been around 2010 so then wow. if, that, if that's a qualifying campaign then it would have been around 2009 <laughs> That is very impressive Dan um, Yeah the, the rest of the three aren't <laughs> and uh, incidentally Rob Green was the first goalkeeper to be sent off at that point for England ever apparently Really? Yeah apparently yeah Okay, unlucky Chris, you need to get you on the board. So maybe this will be the one. So Andy Murray lost a tight match to Fabio Fernini, but why was he so frustrated with him? What did you guys put? Uh, I put uh, B, 
Yeah, I went for B as well. Okay, so Shav starts to strap Murray from a volley put away. Correct. That's right. I thought he's not going to say anything about Judy Murray. I mean, she but, is an absolute no. legend. But interesting fact, uh, in a match against Del Potro, when Murray was kind of in the very early stages of his career, uh, he did Del Potro did try and hit him with a ball, and he did insult Andy Murray's mum. Really? Certainly <laughs> Murray thought. He thought he did, and he was like, "What are you saying about my mum? What are you saying about me?" <laughs> was on the playground. <laughs> That's great, Scott Jackson <laughs> or Alice yeah. Shrek. Um, I don't do a bad Andy Murray actually. Maybe I'll I'll bring that in later. Uh, okay, be, but you know, but a wee bit. Uh, but, he does you know, err a lot, doesn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a great great tournament, and uh, I don't think <laughs> that I'm going to do that well. And uh, you know. <laughs> I think that's what he sounds like. I'm not sure, but I think that's what he sounds Pretty, like. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> pretty spot on. Very good. Okay. So, one point each year. So, question four. Who is the oldest? Um, so, go from oldest to youngest. Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Costa-Curta, and Roberto Baggio. Well, so, what have you gone for, Chris? You, you, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I've gone for oldest Costa-Curta, then Maldini, then Baggio. Oh, okay. See, I was, I was so, I was so sure about this, but then you said a year difference, like in between each one, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. But I went for Baggio as the oldest, mm. and I reckon he's about forty-nine. I don't know. Costa Curta is the second, <laughs> about forty-eight, and Maldini mm. the third at forty-seven. That's what I went for. Well, you're four years out, Dan, but you're both wrong, unfortunately. So oh, Costa Curta is the oldest at any guesses. Uh, is he in his fifties? Fifty-three. He's in his- 53, correct, Chris, yeah. <laughs> wow. 53, Baggio, 52, Maldini, 51. They all look so good. He was, Maldini and looks like that is, an Adonis. Was 40 on Povolution Soccer 6, so I just added <laughs> 30. <laughs> <laughs> Great knowledge. Nice. Okay, so that was a tough one, so no point for you both. Yeah. All right. Okay, so ha- hopefully you've had a bit of a chance to think about the funny <laughs> punchline. So, what time does Sean Connery arrive at Wimbledon? Um, I went for 12 o'clock, with Glock being as other gun. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, Do you know what? I think I had to give half a point to that. Yeah, I agree, I, I agree with that, because great answer. I, I couldn't remember any of the Bond films' names that he'd been in. Uh, what, what Bond films had Sean Connery been in? Goldfinger, um, uh, Never Say Never Again. That was rubbish, wasn't it? Uh, Thunderball. Yeah, he was in Thunderball. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Diamonds I, are Forever. Uh, oh, yeah. I literally I don't have an answer. I thought okay. it was going to be something to do with Martini or Shaken and Stirred. Well, like Mar- Martini Navratilova overtime or something like that. <laughs> so what time does Sean Connery arrive at Wimbledon? Mm. About tennis. Uh, <laughs> that's good okay. right. I like that I like the accent as well uh, do you want a bonus Sean Connery joke yeah always okay. does Sean Connery like herbs I don't know yes but only partially <laughs> that's good right, I'll give you that yeah. why, why do you know so many Sean Connery yeah. <laughs> there is a third one it's bugging me uh, I who doesn't love Sean Connery well, jokes? No, I do. I just, uh, <laughs> you recently read a book about it. Okay. <laughs> so so just can't can't what have you got? Uh, uh, 
one and a half if you get if you were generous yeah like 12 you certainly do you generous. have to get one of those chris that was a that was a good a good line so yeah, one, one and a half. I did. I didn't think of my, my Martini Navratilova punchline until far too late. I had too long to think about it. Um, I've got three, three out of five. Pretty good, Dan. Very good. I, I'm, I I'm, don't I'm know what the that. scores are in total. Right, I'm, 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 well, you hold those horses, Josh, because I'm gonna I'm gonna give you those scores. So the three takes me up to. Oh. Well, let me open it. The three takes me up to 11 and a half out of 20. Josh, you're on 10 out of 20. And your one and a half, Chris, takes you on to seven and a half out of 20. Um, it, is <laughs> it is worth noting that this, this quiz competition ends at the end of the football season, which there's so many months left. Yeah. And I've got no doubt that, Chris, you are going to go full steam ahead and take us both on. Um, it's a marathon, yeah. And what a great way to end the <laughs> what a great way to end the this section on of Chris reminders. It is a marathon. Um, Josh, thank you very much for your quiz. Great quiz, um, and we look forward to the next one. So that's all we've got time for this week, uh, sadly. It's been a brilliant episode. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys about the different moments of sport this week. But before we leave you guys, we've got the poll for this week. Now, we didn't have time last week, unfortunately, to, to go through the poll. But this week we do. And our poll for this week is all about the greatest bit of individual sporting brilliance uh, in your lifetimes. OK, so obviously, listeners, your age will vary. So if you've got a different choice, you'll comment in the other section. Um, but for us, it's all about our sporting lifetime. So, Chris, what have you gone for? Uh, I've gone for Tiger Woods as my suggestion. Uh, I think the reason I've gone for him is effectively because he completely changed the game of golf. Um, not only off the course where his sort of uh, charisma and um, dedication to winning uh, really made, I think it kind of made golf cool again amongst uh, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so I think he has left a legacy there uh, and second of all on the course itself where he was hitting the ball so far and so accurately that they started having to effectively they called it like tiger proofing courses having yeah. to deliberately lengthen the courses make the fairways more narrow basically to try and stop him embarrassing them with exceptionally low score low scores and for a period of about 10 years from about 2000 2010 he was just at the top of his game and no one could really touch him for those years um and, uh, and, and, been and he's made it and he's made a kind of resurgence hasn't he yeah i was just going to mention that he sort of uh he bookended his legacy with um with his win earlier in the year at the masters um which i think most fans were delighted to see he was yeah, absolutely that magic again um and yeah he may well go on to take more time uh, um Majors and reach Jack Nicholas's all-time record. So yeah, Absolutely. Tiger Woods is my and I think that's a great choice. Tiger Woods is just uh, an absolute superstar. Uh, Josh, your choice for this this greatest individual sporting brilliance. Uh, I have to say Roger Federer. Um, I'm hugely biased because I'm a massive fan of his, um, but he's got a particular achievement which I think, even though his record's being chased down, I think there's one record of his that will never be broken. And put my neck on the line here. Uh, he's got 23 uh -huh. 
consecutive Grand Slam semi-final appearances, which is essentially the four biggest tournaments um, in tennis and reaching them for almost six years consecutively um, is absolutely staggering. It would be like if you got to the semi-final of the World Cup, uh, sorry, the FA Cup, uh, came kind of top four in the Prem, uh, Champions League semi-finals and the League Cup, even though the League Cup doesn't really work like for six years. It's just unprecedented. And to keep yourself injury-free, I think, is part of that as well. And obviously, yeah. we know he does it with the most amazing style. There's no one who's played like him. And But it's really also done. worth noting, isn't it? apart from his trainers and his coaches and whatever, there's there's no one else to rely on when he's on that court. Obviously, in a team game, you can rely on other players to kind of get you through it and get you through the, the competitions, but he has to only rely on himself and his own brilliance. Absolutely. It's a pretty lonely place, I think, on a golf course and a tennis course and in individual sports. You've got to believe in yourself so completely. And I guess when you've done, you've got 15 semifinals before, you kind of just expect it. And if some things go wrong, you just think, well, they might have gone wrong before. And I just... They're probably going to go right at some point. I'm just going to keep playing how I play. But yeah, that's that's my pick. And and again, another very, very worthy pick. Now, my pick for the, the greatest individual sporting brilliance, uh, for me, it has to be Usain Bolt. Um, the world record holder for the 100 metres and 200 metres ran that 100 metres in 9.58 seconds back in 2009 and then um, beat Michael Johnson's record of 9. Uh, three zero and and smashed again the 200 meter record and, and finished in a time of 19.19 just the way he did it though the way he ran he just he ran as if as if it, it wasn't even trying his hardest ran as if he had more left in the tank had a bit of uh, style and, and finesse about how he ran kind of wasn't even the greatest starter never the greatest starter but always got off slower than everybody else and got into his stride and then just pulled away and he was just brilliant. He put himself on the map. He put athletics and that kind of, even though the 100 meter sprint was, was the, the, the showpiece event of any of, of any of athletics event, um, he kind of just made it cool. He, he was super cool. He um, talked about his, his diet beforehand. He, he was open and honest. He was a superstar and still is an absolute superstar. Um, and for me, just brilliant. And that's why, for me, he's my choice for the greatest sporting, uh, individual sporting brilliance. Uh, so there are three choices. Usain Bolt, Roger Federer, Tiger Woods. Really difficult choice this week. Or if you've got your own choice for your grating, uh, greatest individual sporting brilliance of your lifetime, click on other, comment below with who you've got, and we'll share it on next week's podcast. Little prediction, Chris, who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'm going to say Federer. Josh? I think Bolt might win, actually. Bolt's got it. I think it's going to be so close. I think it's going to be our closest one so far, to be honest. But we'll see. Thanks again for joining me, guys. Did you enjoy yourselves? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. Yeah, and uh, yeah, fantastic. Really enjoyed it tonight. Yeah, great chat this week. Really loved it. Um, just worth noting for, noticing, um, noticing for our listeners out there, there will not be one next week. Uh, both of you guys are on a holiday, right? That's right. I'm off to Malta. That's all. Oh. I'm going to Valencia. Can't wait. And I'm assuming it's for a sporting scouting trip and to find out the sports of Malta and Valencia uh, respectively. Yeah, I'm going to come back with some uh, some facts for you about the Malta sporting scene. Maybe we could do a holiday section and just talk that a bit is... about holidays. Talk a bit oh. about sport, a bit more about the holiday. Annoy Dad. 
All, all I <laughs> yeah, yeah, annoy me as I'm sat in October, England, just wishing I was on holiday. I'm love you both. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, all I want you to bring back some sporting knowledge from the different place you've been to and some European sweets. Deal. Deal. Yeah, right. deal. Sounds fantastic. Send them in the post, though, because, you know, obviously I can't have them if you just have them in your own rooms, because that's even more unfair. But enjoy your holiday, guys. We'll see you in two weeks time, everybody else. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to Sports Weekly. <laughs>